Welcome to another PI World podcast. This is an audio-only version offered as another way to enjoy our great content. A full video version can be seen on piworld.co.uk, where you can find many more videos of interest to investors. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Franchise Brands presentation for the results for the year-ended 31st December We've got a busy day for you here today, so quite a long agenda to get through. So presenters here today, myself, Executive Chairman of uh, Franchise Brands, and Peter Malloy, who's um, uh, Managing Director of the uh, newly formed uh, B2B uh, division. So he'll be going through that side of the business. So for those of you who don't know us, not many of whom are in this room, I will give you an overview of the business. That's who we are. We're a multi-brand international franchisor of van-based, reactive and planned services, mostly ones that have an emergency need. That makes us really a a fairly defensive um, growth company. All the areas um, we operate in are uh, needed by customers at some point or other. They don't necessarily have to buy from us, um, but they need to buy the services uh, that we offer. We operate in the UK, North America, and Europe. We're focused on building market-leading businesses, primarily via a franchise model. We're not exclusively franchised, and I'll explain in a second where we use uh, direct labour organisations, or DLOs, as we call them. We run the business on the basis that if our franchisees grow, we can grow. And we try to um, have businesses in the portfolio where our income is leveraged to their turnover. Um, As a result of being a franchise business, we're we're, we're capital light with a strong cash flow. The scale of the business at the moment is just under 600 franchisees across six principal brands. Our franchisees employ about 2,000 people in six countries. We have uh, 415 direct employees. Most by number are in the direct labour businesses, the franchise businesses being fairly light on the number of employees we need. In total, all the businesses uh, operate about 1,400 service vehicles, mostly van-based service. How we do it? Um, As I've said before, we, we enable our franchisees to grow. If they grow, we grow. Where we use direct labour organisations is where there's a need for a corporate franchise. That may be, for example, demonstrating best practice to our franchisees. It may be where a franchisee fails and we have to take the territory back until we resell it out to a new franchisee. It may be areas where we think we can develop the franchise channels more quickly by using DLOs. And the acquisition of Willow Pumps was an example of that. Or it may be where we're providing specialist service Uh, again, to support the uh, franchise channel. 2022 was a significant and highly successful year uh, for the group, the main feature of which was the transformational acquisition of Filter, which has performed beyond our expectations. It's had a very good year, as we'll come on to talk about. By contrast, B2C had a more difficult year, given the current high employment and labour market conditions. But overall, uh, statutory turnover grew by 72%. And 
Now, statutory turnover is not a KPI of the business because it's made up of all sorts of um, uh, different components. The KPI of the business that we use is, is system sales, which is the underlying sales by our franchisees and DLOs to third parties. That drove a growth in EBITDA of uh, 80% to 15.3 million and statutory profit for tax of 10.3 million. Adjusted EPS grew by 51% to 8.38 pence. Dividends been increased by 33% to 2 pence and we finished the year with net cash of 8 million pounds. Peter. What I'd like to do is to take you on a very quick canter through the business overall. As you can see from the slide, effectively the business is made up of three divisions. The B2B division that Stephen talks about, Filter International and then B2C. So in the B2B division that I'm responsible for, we've got Metrorod. Metrorod is primarily a management franchise business, operating out of 42 franchisees with 50 depots throughout the country. Metroplum, which is the younger brother of Metrorod, formed probably about six years ago, Metrorod formed 40 years ago, is effectively at the moment a van-based franchise with single plumbers in vans operating throughout the country and currently with 13 standalone Metroplum franchisees. But it's important to note that some of the other plumbing business is done by a combination of Metrorod and Metroplum franchisees under the same ownership. Then Willow Pumps. Willow Pumps is probably the most technical part of our business, um, it, developing uh, design and installation for construction sites, etc. And as Stephen talks about, the, the acquisition of Willow Pumps was strategically important to us to get the skill set to be able to deliver some of the work through the Metrod network, and I'll come on to that later. And then Filter, the most recent acquisition, effectively operating in commercial kitchen environments with a wide range of services from fog management, which is fat soles and grease, from vent cleaning and refrigeration seal replacement. So overall, the division, 77 franchisees in the division with an adjusted EBIT of 9.2, so the biggest part of the group currently. Filter International, and Stephen will talk a little bit more about this going forward, but effectively, a fryer management business primarily in North America. And one of the important and interesting features about the filter business is the, uh, the filtration of the oil, the removal of the old oil, and then that being sold for transformation into biodiesel. So really supporting the circular economy. Uh, 160 franchisees in that division with an EBITDA of 5.2 million. And, and that filter international also covers Europe. And then B2C and Azura, uh, B2C, uh, three brands, chips away, uh, paint repair business for vehicles, oven clean, the market leader in dom domestic oven cleaning, and then uh, Barking Mad, which is a dog home boarding service. And then finally in there, we've got Azura, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about technology in a few minutes. But Azura is, again, an acquisition we made probably about 18 months ago, uh, a leading provider of software in the franchise arena. Uh, and a real benefit for us in terms of what we're doing in enhancing our own systems. So, very quickly, just showing you our international footprint. Clearly, the acquisition of Filter changed the dimensions of the group over the last year. Prior to that, we were primarily based in the UK. But as you can see, we've got a single brand of Filter in, in the US, 
Total sales, 67 million. Uh, as I said, 133 franchisees. In the UK, we've got the eight brands that I talked about, uh, in the B2B brands and then B2C. And then filtering Europe, filtering Europe being the smallest proportion of what we do at the moment. But again, significant opportunities for growth in the filter market throughout Europe. So that's just a brief overview of the divisions and, and where we sit in terms of delivering the services uh, worldwide at the moment. Thanks, Peter. So this is just a bridge for an at-a-glance view of how profits have performed over the last uh, year. So in 2021, EBITDA was 8.5 million. The B2B division has grown profits by 2.1 million in the year. The Filter International is an initial contribution from the acquisition in March last year. So this is 10 months contribution from an acquired business. So the whole of that profit is is shown as growth, obviously, because there wasn't a comparative in the previous year. Um, As I've mentioned, the B2C division was flat year on year. um, And Azura effectively made an initial contribution uh, this year. We acquired it in November 21. Um, so it, it, it made a modest contribution in the current year. Group overheads grew slightly, and that resulted in our uh, 15.3 million EBITDA for the year. Just want to run through some corporate activity and the strategic review we've undertaken of the B2C division. So corporate activity in the year was, most importantly, the acquisition of Filter, which was done on an all-share basis and initially completed in March, and we eventually acquired all the shares in the squeeze-out by the end of June. The other significant development during the year, which Peter will talk more about later, was the buyout of the earnout of Willow. We initially bought that business for £5 million with a potential £7.5 million earnout. That didn't really work in leveraging the franchise channel. So we settled it early during the year, and Peter will talk about how that has accelerated the integration of that business. The other thing we undertook in the year is a strategic review of the B2C business. And whilst 2022 was not a great year for B2C because of the employment market, because of the loss of franchisees who were returning to employment or retiring or whatever... We think that's transitory. Um, We can already see at the beginning of this year uh, recruitment levels uh, increasing and attrition reducing. Um, But we really feel that we want to develop now franchise brands focused on on the B2B market. I think the bit that we've demonstrated that we're really quite good at is the van-based delivery of reactive and planned essential services as I said before, where people don't really have a choice whether to buy the services or not. They have a choice of who they buy them from, but not whether they need their drains fixed or their plumbing fixed or or whatever. So we really want to focus on on those businesses. And there are a number of characteristics of those businesses which we think are attractive. Commercial customers who are by far and away our biggest group of customers in those businesses have regular recurring needs. So the lifetime value of a commercial customer for those essential services is high compared with a retail uh, domestic customer. We feel that the setup of franchise brands with our central services of IT, marketing, finance, 
and, and franchise support are ideally placed to develop in those sectors. We also feel that the uh, businesses available to acquire in that sector are, are more attractive. They're usually larger. They usually have a royalty-based income. So if the franchisees grow, we grow. And they're international. And we have ambitions to um, expand our international footprint, as I'll come on to talk about later. So as a result of that, we've asked FinCap Cavendish to offer that business for sale. And we are currently talking to a number of possible buyers. Although we haven't got uh, an offer yet, and we continue to operate that business as part of the group. So most of the numbers we'll be talking about today include that as a full part of the group. And that's the way it'll be until uh, the day we sell it. Over to Peter. As Stephen said when he owned the presentation in terms of the overall performance of the, of the business, um, a, a really strong performance. And I think that uh, continued growth momentum has existed or has been demonstrated through each of the businesses that I looked after. And I'm really proud of the people in those businesses and the franchisees and the engineers that deliver the services that we, uh, that we deliver on behalf of our customers. What I want to do is talk you a little bit through each of the businesses in isolation and starting with Metrorod. As Stephen said, people can buy drainage services from anybody. What we need to do is get them to buy them from us. And we've got a, a wide range of customers, very loyal customers that have been with the business for a long period of time. And in part, that's resulted in system sales increasing by 19% to 60 million. Some of that is new customer acquisition. Some of that is leveraging and penetrating our existing customers still further. And particularly through where we've introduced a wider range of services. Now, three to four years ago, our services that we were offering were quite narrow. Strategically, we then developed a tanker strategy where we helped our franchisees get more tankers out there. We then introduced to that as part of the acquisition of Willow, um, a pump strategy where we start to increase the number of pump jobs we can do and the number of pump engineers that we have on the ground to deliver those services. So what we saw was an 80% increase in pump sales. Uh, and again, it's attractive because it's five times the average size of a drainage job. So you can see strategically why we want to get into that market. But equally, we want to get into that market because the underground services in drainage through pumps are absolutely linked in our customers' eyes, and we want to own that transaction and have no handoff. A tanker and pump sales now are record 22% of system sales. And that's going to continue as part of our strategy as we go forward. And it's changing that brand awareness from what was a drainage company through to a company now that delivers much more sophisticated services. And when it's starting that, we started that three years ago and we've got now much more brand recognition in those areas of the market. Stephen touched on it, you know, we want our franchisees to grow. We view this as a partnership. If they grow, we grow. And what you can see is that our franchisees grew substantially during the year. You know, one franchisee now exceeding three million pounds. And to be fair, there was another one that didn't quite get there who was gutted not to quite get to the three million pounds. Five over two million pounds in sales and 27 exceeding a million pounds. If you look at the comparisons from the previous period, you can see that that growth momentum right the way across our network is starting to um, uh, develop, not in isolation. Our sales aren't from a single franchisee doing very well, yet a lot of people are doing very well nationally. And that's in part because of the way we operate the sales out of the business where we provide national customers for our franchisees. Um, so, and again, a staggering 27 franchisees grew more than 20% year on year. So a really strong performance in, in Metrod for the year. 
In Metro Plum, as I touched on earlier, the business hasn't been established quite as long, but it continues to expand. And Metro Plum is a really exciting part of the business from our perspective. The market opportunities are huge. You know, we're still embryonic in terms of the development stage at the moment. And we introduced six new standalone franchisees in 2022, taking the total to 13. And interestingly, going into the early parts of 2023, we see that momentum continuing with um, new franchisees um, potentially joining the business. System sales grew faster than that of drainage. Um, again, demonstrated to me the opportunity and uh, the size of the market. But equally, where Stephen talks about commercial customers who repeat need for drainage, what we see there is a more frequent repeat need for plumbing, not only in the commercial market, but in other markets as well. Local sales, again, just to explain local sales, the business is split really from national account customers, which we call obviously national sales. The local sales are those generated by the franchisees. Part of the journey with the Metro Plum franchisee is to help them develop the marketing locally so they can penetrate that local market, having less dependency on the national accounts. So I'm really pleased with that element of the work that we've done. And again, what you can see with that, it manifests itself in the broadening of the customer base with 781 clients using the services, up 28% against 2021. Again, that brand awareness as people start to understand that we're out there and we're, we've got a Metro Plum part of our business. Clearly, franchisees want to join our business, and we talked about it as partners. We want them to grow up and benefit from being part of the system. You know, eight of the franchisees exceeded £150,000 in sales and one over 800000 And the one over 800000 is a really good illustration for me as to what the barometer looks like in terms of the size of the market and the opportunity. He's probably one of our early entrants. He's a bit longer established into our business yeah, and started to develop the territories they're working. So I'm really optimistic that the other franchisees can um, uh, uh, replicate some of the success that that particular franchisee has had. In terms of Willow Pump, Stephen touched on it. We did the early settlement of the earnout in, in the middle of the year. And primarily the reason was that the two elements of the earnout were conflicted. One was sort of profit growth out of Willow and one was developing the Metro Rod network. Uh, so there was always a conflict between the two. So making that decision, what allowed us to do then was to take away any of the barriers to using the Metro network to deliver some of the services that, that Willow needed to deliver for their customers. And we talk about cross-selling. You know, um, this gets hidden in the cross-selling. The, the percentage of work now, 18.4% of the revenue, is delivered by the Metrod network on behalf of Willow and Willow's customers. Now, that can only be done if we can train the people, if we can use the technical knowledge out of Willow, and we can start and spread that through the franchise network. And we're continuing with that progress. We started with a single training centre in Kent in the Willow uh, business. We now have a second training centre in the north of England at the Macclesfield Support Centre, which allows us to very quickly get and train more engineers as the demand starts to grow. I'm really pleased with the Willow performance in terms of managing the business, particularly on the supply and install side, which has improved dramatically in the last year. It was impacted in COVID by some of the downturn in the construction sector, but again, a really specialist niche part of our business that is very attractive for our customer base. And then in terms of Filter, the most recent acquisition, 
unlike a lot of the other businesses, Filter's predominantly a planned work business. It's got a reactive element to it, which is then clearly really attractive to, to ourselves and our franchisees, which means that we can deliver efficiently. Um, it delivers complementary services into the commercial kitchen sector, and the, the blue-chip customer base is ideal from a cross-selling perspective, both in pumps and plumbing and in, in drainage. I'm pleased with the turnaround that we've had in the business. The increased levels of productivity from our own direct labour, the optimising of that service delivery to um, reduce some of our travel time and therefore some of our fuel and transport costs, and fundamentally improving the profitability as well. You know, all of the bits and pieces that we did led to a fairly substantial improvement in the profitability of the business. There are great opportunities to grow some of the smaller businesses in there. If you, if you think about Filter as a... Uh, a collection of, of small entities that do all of the working commercial kitchens from fridge seal to vent to fog to everything else that we do. Yeah, there are opportunities to grow each of those across their existing customer base. Not all of their existing customers buy their, their uh, current level of services. So a really exciting opportunity. And equally an opportunity to say some of the work that's currently done by our own direct labor and get it done by the franchise network. The Filter Fry franchise network was really a, a, a single source business which is doing filtration of fryers. What we've started to do now is to build out a different model which makes it much more attractive to a franchisee and filter to do some of the work by delivering some of the fog services, reducing our dependency on our direct labour and getting to where we want to be which is a franchise business. And that's not to say we'll lose our dedicated and skilled direct labour. That labour will eventually work into franchise work with franchisees. So exciting opportunities in terms of the transformation of um, a filter. I, I talked a little bit about cross-selling and the opportunities and the type of work we do. And the next slide really it, it illustrates the breadth of services that we can offer as a business. Now, if you imagine this building, I was thinking about it earlier. In terms of the water management of this building, the only thing we probably can't do is Legionella testing. And I don't think we'll be doing Legionella testing anytime soon, but any water coming in, any water going through the kitchens, any water going out, any pumps required, whether the gutters need cleaning on this building, we can do that. So what this shows across the B2B division, that if we've got a customer that wants us to look after all of those facilities, from water in to waste out, this is a great illustration of what we can do for them. And again, above ground and below ground, you know, we talk, we talk here about water storage tanks and chlorination of that. We can do that type of work. So within the group, wherever you're talking to a customer, we've got a fantastic offering. And I don't think there's anybody else in the UK that can offer the breadth of services from the same division. Yeah, and I say division because each of, the each of the businesses and the brands have got their own specialties. But if you wanted a customer for us to coordinate that, I don't think there's anybody else that can do that in the UK. So hopefully that gives you a, a, a very brief overview in terms of the B2B division, where we've got to, where we'd like to get to. And I think the next slide is, is you, Stephen. Thanks, Peter. So now I'd like to talk about Filter in North America, which is the, the bulk of the acquired business. The history of Filter was that Jason Sayers effectively invented the process, started in England, developed it initially in England, and then went out uh, to the US, I think in the early 90s, uh, to, to uh, build the business over there. 
the, the business that was left in the UK um, was a small uh, franchise business, and then they made a series of acquisitions, which um, uh, Peter has now uh, explained uh, uh, to you, and he's he's blessed with uh, with managing those now. So, so the real driver of of the filter business uh, was was the business in North America, and as Peter mentioned, that the core of the business is fryer management, uh, and fryer management means going into a kitchen, filtering the cooking oil in a deep fat fryer cleaning that fryer, supplying new oil if it's needed, and taking away the waste oil for reprocessing once it reaches end of life. And because they are, they become a key part of the kitchen, um, they might be in, in certain situations where they're using these uh, 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 fryers a lot in their everyday. It only takes 15 minutes to filter the fryer. But if they're using it an awful lot, they could be in there every day. So they become a key part of, of the kitchen team. And, and that allows them to sell in other services. So they've got various services that preserve food better in walk-ins, various other sorts of filters and supplies they make to these commercial kitchens. And that is still quite an underexploited part of the business, certainly in the UK, but also in North America. The business performed very strongly. It had a tough COVID. I mean, its customers are hospitality venues, most of which were shut down even in North America during the COVID crisis. And it has been slowly coming out and rebuilding uh, that customer base. It now has about 8,500 customers it visits every week. And it's grown its um, system sales now to actually $92 million in 2022, and remember, we only owned it for 10 months, and finished the year at a run rate of $100 million. They also had a very good year uh, in the sale and reprocessing of the used cooking oil. Partly as a result of the the war in Ukraine, the, the, the price of virgin cooking oil more or less doubled. That made the um, filter process uh, very much more attractive because by microfiltering the oil in the fry, you can double the life of it. So that was economically very attractive for uh, kitchen operators. So the service um, was, was, was in high demand. But what it also meant was that the price of the used cooking oil also increased. That was also driven by a number of other factors, including um, US state and federal law that required more um, uh, bio product to be put in road diesel. Um, So the the, the price of used cooking oil uh, increased. The additional revenue that that generated for the franchisees, a lot of them reinvested that in the mobile filtration units, which is the core piece of equipment they need to supply the, 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 the filter service. So that's been really good for both growing the, um, uh, the business during the year and the sale of uh, MFUs, but more particularly uh, giving us the capacity to go forward, both to provide the basic service and also to collect still more used cooking oil for resale. One of the attractions to customers of the recycling of the cooking oil is the ESG benefits. And Filter provides every customer every month with a certificate telling them the benefits of that. I've got a slide coming up that shows that. So we've been really excited about the opportunity at Filter in North America. They don't really have any uh, competition. They're growing very rapidly. They have a very good bunch of franchisees, about 130 franchisees in North America. So the question we've been asking was, how big can the market 
grow and how can we accelerate that growth? Now, for a number of years, I've used a, a model called the maximum potential model to estimate the size of, of a potential market for any of our businesses. And I, I, I learned about this model from, from Bain Capital uh, when they owned uh, Domino's Pizza. So I can't um, claim I invented it, but I have applied it to uh, lots of different businesses now. And the way you apply it in the case of filter is that you look at the customers you have and you look at the SIC codes of where those customers are. And then you look at the entire US and find out how many of those similar sort of customers there are. And the result of that is that we've got 8,500 customers at the moment and there are 1.1 million similar customers in the UK. So we have sort of 1% of the market. You then look at what the penetration of any of our franchisees is of those customers in their franchise territory. And you find out who's got the maximum penetration. Well, the maximum penetration is actually 3.9%. You then look at what the maximum spend per customer is of any of our franchisees. And we looked at only franchisees that had a, a sort of critical mass of over 50-odd customers. And the answer to that was $22,000 a year. It's also the case that in the US, we only cover about two-thirds of the country at the moment. So a third of the territory is fallow. Now, if you multiplied all those numbers out, if everyone was doing 3.9% penetration, everyone was getting $22,000 a year, and we covered the whole of the country, the maximum potential is, is just under a billion dollars. And as I said, the run rate at the end of last year was just 100 million. So we've sort of got 10% of the potential. We then look at what the best of the franchisees are doing to create that 3.9% penetration and what they're doing to create $22,000 a year. And we then try and apply the lessons we learn from them to the whole community. And that has been developed into a program called Filter Max, by which we want to grow the business to capture more of that billion pound market. So very exciting prospects. Jason, Says and Tom Dunn, who's the MD over there, are doing a great job growing that business and are enthusiastically pursuing the Filter Max program. Next slide is a couple of examples of the ESG reports they supplied to customers. So these reports talk about when they reuse cooking oil, how it saves them buying new cooking oil and the ESG benefits of that. It also talks about the recycling of the used oil and how that replaces diesel and the ESG benefits of that. And this is becoming really important to some of our customers. Customers like Sodexo and Compass and Aromark uh, really value this because it supports their uh, ESG credentials when they're reporting to their stakeholders. So important part of the business going forward, we think that is. So come on, talk about the B2C division. 2022 was a game of two halves. The first half of the year was reasonably successful. But as I reported in the uh, half-year report in 2022, we were looking at more difficult environment as we went into the second half of the year. And I think the drivers for that were, you know, very high employment levels, uh, very high wages, uh, low redundancies, which made the opportunity of, of, of buying a man-in-a-van franchise, which is almost exclusively what the B2C division is, less attractive. Um, so recruitment really 
uh, slowed up quite significantly in the uh, second half of the year. So, so we've recruited 28 in the first half, but only 10 new franchises in the second half. And the other thing that happened is that the attrition levels increased, not hugely, but we lost 69 franchisees over 2022, compared with 64 in the previous year, and a sort of five-year average of 65. But the point there is that even though it wasn't markedly different from earlier years, because the recruitment was low, it meant that the franchise population, which we draw our fixed fee income from, reduced from 379 franchisees to 349. And that does have some effect on our income. Now, I'm pleased to say that in the first couple of months of this year, things have recovered. The recruitment levels are at budget and the attrition levels have markedly slowed. So that business is stabilised. As I say, it is up for sale at the moment and we're talking to one or two buyers and they sort of get that. And, you know, the most attractive purchaser of those businesses would be another franchise business. So I think most B2C franchise businesses, particularly where they're one man in one van type businesses, are seeing these same characteristics and are also seeing the same recovery as we are at the moment. Back to you, Peter. One of the things that we've not really touched on is the technology we use throughout the business. And it's a really important feature of our development. And really, it's been an important feature in terms of the transformation of the business over the last three to four years. I touched earlier about the acquisition of Azura. Again, very important for us because we've got a company that's now within the group that has the institutional knowledge to be able to understand our business and make changes very quickly and at the leading edge of the development of the of the work that we want to do. And there's a benefit to Azure in isolation as well. Our works management system is a platform called Vision. So you'll see Vision being mentioned in here. That's effectively what we use to manage the business. And within that, We've improved some functionality, and I'll just talk very quickly about a couple of the individual ones. The new customer quotation system. It's a really important feature of our business, and I've got no better way of putting this, but in the drainage world, if you can still smell the problem, you're much more likely to have it fixed fairly quickly. And what's important for us is to get that quotation to our customers rapidly. And what the new quotation system allows us to do, it takes some heavy lifting off the franchisees and it speeds up that submission of the quotation. And we'll be deploying that through some of the other parts of the business as well. We developed over uh, probably the last 18 months, but it's really started to get some traction in the last year, the Connect Portal. And the Connect Portal is effectively the connection between ourselves and our customers. So our customers can see the journey of a job from beginning to end. There's more functionality being added to that now, um, which, again, we believe will make our customers more stickable. We build a moat around them in terms of we're doing things that nobody else can do. And what we're doing is um, giving them information that we think is important to them at the right time, be the field-based managers in their customers or in their back office. And we've put some additional invoicing features in there. You know, a customer wants a copy invoice, they can go to the Connect portal and get the copy invoice straight away without us having to do any work. The use of robots in our business is again, been transformational. And to put this in context in terms of the numbers, only 6% of the work we now receive in Metrod is taken on the telephone. So when we say we've got a call centre, 
I'm doing it a disservice. We've got a customer contact centre. Um, Ten years ago, I'm guessing that would have been 18, 90% of the jobs coming in on the phone. So what we've had to do is to adapt to our customers' changing of technology and the way they want to do business with us. And the use of robots really is instrumental in us staying ahead of the game on that and, and ensuring that we get the right level of operational gearing. So 31% of all jobs logged by a robot will be really disappointed if that's not over 50% this year. And I've seen some of the work that we've done in the latter part of last year and the other part of this year, and I think we'll do that. 13% of all invoices raised. Again, I think we'll see a significant improvement in that. And 26% of all emails. And the emails are the ones that get in the way of doing business. It's the email where you are copied into where there's not an action on you. So everybody copies in our contact centre to an action. They don't have to do anything. We've got robots that can direct them to the right place. So the people in the contact centre are dealing with the new jobs coming in, getting that out to the franchisees as rapidly as possible. So it takes away a lot of the distraction in the business. One of the things I'm really proud of in the business is the system sales per employee more than doubling over five years. And I'm not proud of it necessarily because it's a great thing to do from an operational gearing perspective. What it's allowed us to do is to get the people in the business focused on the things that are really important. We talk about the robots dealing with some of the emails, etc. We've got better support for our franchisees, we've got a better business development, and we've got a greater focus on the service that we deliver. Yeah. So we're moving the resource into the areas that really make a difference in the business on the back of the technology being deployed. One of the areas that we're really keen to progress is the advanced scheduling tool. We've got 500 engineers out in the field every day. And scheduling those engineers from either our perspective or the franchisee's perspective is a real challenge. So anything we can do to help improve that um, is going to be a benefit for them commercially. It'll be a benefit for us all in terms of the environment with the reduction in fuel because we're going to manage our travel better. But it gives us the opportunity to grow the business without necessarily growing the resource on the ground. Now, we're saying that we, at the moment we're finding 23 minutes a day over 500 engineers. It doesn't sound a lot of 23 minutes, but you aggregate that out over a year. That's a significant amount of increased productive time that we can fill. So a really exciting part of our development this year, and we've got that in, in trial and being piloted by a number of parts of the business. And then we're reviewing the Filter IT platform. As I touched on earlier, Filter is predominantly a planned business. I don't think we plan it well enough today, if I'm perfectly honest with you. I think there's some improvements that we can make with that. And if we migrate the Filter business more towards a franchise model, it makes absolute sense to deploy some of the technologies in vision into the filter business because we've done all that heavy lifting and hard work over the last three to five years and it will rapidly change what we want to do in the filter business. And I can see huge benefits in terms of the output from filter, particularly through the franchisees in, in filter fry. There's just another point I want to make on that. I think one of the really exciting areas of the IT going forward is this scheduling. Less than half of our engineers' time is billed at the moment. A proportion of the balance is travelling time, which we'll never get back, but a proportion of it is, is, is wasted due to poor scheduling. Now, the problem with scheduling reactive work is you don't know when the job's coming in, you don't know where it is, and you don't know how long it's going to take to do it. And, and you contrast that with planned work, where you know what your week or your month is going to look like. It's really difficult to schedule um, 
reactive work. And that's really why you get a premium price for it. It's why you pay uh, you know, a lot more for a, 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 an emergency plumber than you do for uh, someone that makes an appointment in two weeks' time. And that 23 minutes times actually nearly 600 engineers times 250 working days of the year is five or six million pounds of additional system sales at no additional cost. Now, 15 to 22.5% of that, depending on what type of work it is, uh, accrues to us um, as additional MSF income. The balance accrues to the franchisees at no cost, so tremendously driving their uh, bottom line profit. And profitable franchisees are franchisees who are enthusiastic to grow. So, so this is a really exciting and very important um, part of our, our IT development. And you'll see we're spending a lot of money on it. So um, I hope it works. Let's go into the numbers. So I've sort of started to explain our terms on system sales versus revenue or statutory revenue. Statutory revenue is not a driver of the business. And if you want to understand why, look at slides 28 and 29 in the appendix. Very complicated, very wordy, but I think it will give you some idea of why we don't use uh, statutory sales as a driving number. So system sales, once again, is the sales to third parties by our franchisees and DLOs. And that was up 99% last year, just a little short of the 100%, mainly driven, of course, by the acquisition of Filter, but also very good organic growth, as Peter has talked about in the uh, B2B division. Now, the interesting thing here, and this is one of the benefits of the investment in IT, is the operational gearing. So system sales up 99%, gross profit up 64%. Now, the reason that's not the same is obviously changing mix with the introduction of the filter business. But nevertheless, gross profit up 64%, overheads up only 54%, which meant that EBITDA was up 80%. And that is what we're trying to achieve with our investment in IT and the operational gearing of the business. Now, all franchise businesses have a level of operational gearing because you don't necessarily need more overhead people um, as your franchisees' system sales grow, or indeed, as you recruit more franchisees. So, so you see it in virtually every franchise business. But we try to turbocharge it with our investment in, in IT. Depreciation amortization increased mostly as a result of the acquisition of Filter. Finance charge down because we repaid all our bank debt during the year, and that really is just interest on HP and these newfangled IFRS 16 leases. Tax charge at 20%, slightly ahead of the 19% in the UK, mainly as a result of the introduction of filter where the US tax rate, state and federal, is 26-27%. Interestingly, that tax charge will go up very significantly this year because the UK tax rate is going up to 25% and the US tax rate there. So you're going to see 25, 26%, maybe more this year. So overall, adjusted profit after tax up 93% during the year. Divisional trading results, we're going to come on and talk about these um, divisions separately. But things I'd like to bring out here is B2B is the largest division, uh, 53% of our profits. Great result from Filter in its inaugural contribution. B2C flat and an initial contribution from Azura, given the acquisition late last year. Back to Beta. Thank you.
Uh, just very quickly going through uh, and building what Stephen said about the B2B division, uh, a strong performance again, following on from a strong performance in 2021. Uh, Metro accounting for 68% of the EBITDA in the B2B division. In terms of Metrod, what what really doesn't show in here is the the operational gearing that we would like. But effectively, um, what we've got is a situation where the system sales increased by eighteen percent, the admin uh, expenses by fourteen percent, and not fully demonstrated because what what happened was that we got costs incurring that we stopped incurring as a result of COVID. So things like our annual conference, a massive increase again in travel uh, expenses where our customers now want to see us face-to-face as opposed to being on Zoom over a period of time. So, but the IT uh, investment we made mitigated some of that uh, still to produce a very strong result in, in Metro for the period. Willow pumps again increasing sales at 14%. Uh, and the reduction in the gross margin is really something we knew was going to happen. We talked about earlier the work that is going to be done by the, or is being done by the Metrod franchisees, that's at a lower margin of Willow, but we recover that in, in Metrod as part of the management service fee that we do. And what we see as we accelerate our pump plan, where more and more of that work is done by the franchisees, that will be an ongoing trend. Again, very pleased with the control of overheads in Willow. That's been one of the significant features since the end of the earnout, where we've managed to have a look at where we need to deploy the labour and at the right levels. Filter improved EBIT throughout the year, which I'm really, really pleased with. It, it was held back a little bit by the slower rollout of the Cyclone um, uh, Grease Removal Unit, which hasn't really accelerated at the rates that we anticipated in the early part of the year. But we've got new salespeople in. Uh, we've restructured the sales team to see if we can accelerate that now through Q1 of, of 2023. Um, again, we made a number of changes, and the last two points are really linked to the changes that we made right at the start of the acquisition, where we looked at the central services that we could provide. Uh, we took some of that management structure out, so shared services including the health and safety, uh, HR and those things. So we've got some efficiency savings from there. That will continue throughout 2023 as we start to share more of the services across the B2B division. So overall, in terms of uh, the position for 2022, absolutely delighted with all of the businesses. And I think there's more to come, particularly out of the uh, the filter business in the short term. I think Metrod will uh, will continue its strong momentum. Just looking at Filter International now, um, what we've done here, because it's the first time we presented this, is we've split out their various sources of income and try to show you the gross margin. Again, trying to draw the distinction between system sales and revenue. Also remind you that these are results for 10 months of 2022. So there are no comparatives. But I can tell you the comparatives with the underlying figures from Filter when it was a independent public company last year are pretty dramatic. So just looking at these strands of income, MSF, management service fee, In filter, unusually, this is a fixed fee per mobile filtration unit. Uh, Now, that does grow as income grows, because obviously as the number of customers that each franchisee has and the number of friars they have to filter uh, grows, they need more mobile filtration units. Not ideal, and, and we are looking at ways in which we might be able to turn that more into a percentage income model. Uh, than, than a fixed fee 
per MFU. But obviously, a move like that is significant for the franchisees, so we've got to make sure we do it fairly. Um, equipment and supplies is the sale of the new MFU, uh, replacement parts, and the supply of these other products they sell into uh, commercial kitchens. Waste oil, which is this very significant part of, of income, as you see, uh, £16 million of, of waste oil uh, sold last year at a, a margin to us of 18%. That increased 76% over the previous year, of which about a third was volume-related and two-thirds was price-related, as, as I've mentioned. Just a few comments on what's happened to the price this year and what the outlook is. The price of used cooking oil in the US is sort of based around the Jacobson Index. This company researches that and makes forecasts of what's going to happen. Now, the price in the first couple of months of this year is pretty stable, maybe slightly below um, uh, what occurred last year. The forecast for this year, actually at the beginning of the year, was that it would be higher in 23 than it was in 22. That looks less likely now, but I think it's only going to be marginally less over the course of the year um, than, than it was last year. And our budget is significantly below um, what it was last year. And if that upside uh, comes to pass, we will be feeding that through um, uh, with market updates uh, th- through, through the course of the year. What we do expect, though, is that because of the additional MFUs that were sold last year, volume will increase quite significantly this year. And I think worst case scenario probably is that volume will compensate for any softening of the price this year. I think there's probably upside on that. Area sales are the revenue generated from the sale of new franchise territories and the resale of existing territories. As I I mentioned earlier, only two-thirds of the US is covered at the moment, so there's a lot of virgin territory still to sell. But the bigger driver of that is the consolidation of franchisees. We, we have 130-odd franchisees in the US. Some of them are subscale. We are encouraging the larger franchisees to Pac-Man, um, some of those smaller franchises, because they get better operation, uh, operational efficiencies uh, 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 by doing that. Final source of income is NCA, which is national accounts, on which a filter charge a 5% handling Fee. They also pay a small marketing levy, a very small marketing levy, which again is under review because uh, we don't think that's um, sufficient to drive the business. And they also pay for the IT infrastructure. So that develops some income there, albeit not wildly profitable because the cost of running that, which is included within overheads, absorbs a good bit of that. So whilst it shows a very high gross margin net, uh, not so much. Uh, Filter Europe is... I think embryonic. Um, We've got an improving team over there with a number of franchisees. Um, The economics of uh, oil filtration in the UK and in Europe are less compelling than they are uh, in in North America because we eat less fried food. Um, There is also more difficulties in uh, commuting between locations and... Um, I think on the cover, you saw an MFU being taken from a van. It's quite a big piece of kit, and you've got to park the van fairly close to the premises. You've got to wheel it out, and it doesn't go up steps too easily. So, um, you know, the UK and Europe is is a lot more difficult market for the the, the core 
uh, oil filtering business, but a great market for things like uh, uh, grease recovery units. So uh, the franchisees in Europe and the UK depend more on the supply and servicing of GRUs. And indeed, that's where we're looking to develop the business. And Peter mentioned that the Filter UK DLO, which is involved in this, is pushing more and more of the work out to the small but growing group of franchisees in the UK. B2C, I think we could say we've more or less done. Area sales were lower due to the lower recruitment. Cost of sales were actually declined because of the changing mix to the lower cost oven clean and barking mad away from the high cost chips away. Overheads were up 8%, really because of the return of pre-COVID expenses. I mean, the biggest cost being the annual Chips Away conference. EBITDA was more or less flat. Adjusted and statutory profit. So adjusted profit before tax up 98%. And below that, amortisation of intangibles. That increased mostly because of the filter acquisition Share-based payments increased because we issued three and a half million new options. Um, everyone in franchise brands with over six months service has uh, share options. And we think it's a really important part uh, of our business. The people that drive our income are franchisees. They are entrepreneurs. We want all our people to think like entrepreneurs and have a stake in our business. So we're very keen uh, to uh, make sure everyone gets options. And obviously the filter uh, employees, uh, their option scheme in filter came to an end uh, when we acquired them. So they were all granted uh, replacement options during this. So that, that drives our share-based payment. Non-recurring costs was mainly the cost of acquiring filter and the subsequent uh, reorganisation. The other gains and losses was mainly the effect of paying off the willow earnout early at less than the amount we had crewed in the account. So it shows up as a gain. That drove uh, statutory profit uh, 96%. This is a, um, a cash flow bridge. EBITDA for the year, 15.3 million. And the cash that generated was spent really as follows. The filter acquisition cost 1.7 million. Um, there was a significant increase in uh, Metro Rod debtors during the year. I mean, they, they put on 10 million of system sales. And because we handle all the um, invoicing and take care of the credit control, that drives our working capital. Although a 3.2 million uh, increase in, in working capital was exceptionally high. And, and, and that is being addressed uh, at, at present. Uh, taxes, purchase of equipment. Um, they're in the middle there. There's one, you probably can't see it, but it says purchase of software. So that is the capitalised cost of the uh, spending on software. We spend about another one and a half million operating income on software. So as I said before, we're very keen on the digital journey and, and, and the operational gearing that generates for us. The next two columns, uh, bizarrely, we acquired cash with filter, but we also acquired debt. So we used the cash acquired, unsurprisingly, to pay off the acquired debt. Further along, we took uh, funds to the EBT. Now, whilst we're very keen to make sure everyone's got share options, we're also equally keen that that doesn't dilute our shareholders' interest too much. So we use an EBT to buy in shares to try to cover all the 
vested options. And in, uh, by the end of 2022, we, we had done that. I mean, there were a lot of unvested options still outstanding, but, but they're not, we don't consider them to be particularly dilutive until they vest. Uh, but once they vest, people can exercise them at any time. And we've got the shares in the EBT now to cover that. And then the dividend, that was the final 2021 dividend and the interim 2022 dividend. Balance sheet, just a couple of points here. Obviously, a huge increase in intangibles following the acquisition of Filter, which was, uh, you know, largely uh, intangible assets. We've spoken about the increase in cash to 11 million, which combined with our RCF of 5 million gives us sort of headroom of 16 million for organic growth and acquisitions. And finally, net assets. We, we broke 100 million in net assets uh, during the year, really as a result of the issue of 50-odd million pounds worth of shares for the uh, filter acquisition. So, in summary, excellent momentum in B2B in the year, and that's continued and maybe even accelerated in the early parts of 2023 without any noticeable impact from the slowing economy or or cost of living issues. And that, again, is the the nature of the defensive service uh, we offer. Um, and our, and our strong leadership role in, in most of our businesses, we're, we're, we're market leader in most of the areas uh, we operate in. And we've, we've got a reputation for offering high quality, reliable services, which we maintain through COVID. And I think we, we are absolutely reaping the rewards for continuing to service our customers during those uh, uh, difficult times. We also have businesses with very clear and identifiable opportunities uh, uh, for, for growth. We use the maximum potential model to try to give us an estimate of what that growth is. We use the uh, best practice of our best franchisees to stimulate our less well-performing franchisees uh, to grow. We use sales and marketing to support our franchisees in that effort. And of course, the investment gain in technology to help them become more efficient. We are focused on B2B franchise businesses. What we're looking to do is acquire other van-based businesses providing essential services. That is the key to what we do uh, uh, well. In the longer term, we're looking to um, diversify the geography of our business. We would like to establish a, a group that has its earnings coming equally from North America, UK and continental Europe. So we look forward to the, uh, the future with, with, with confidence to b- grow both organically and by acquisition. Well, thank you very much, everybody. Uh, thank you for attending. Thank you. Uh, have a good day. PI World videos and podcasts are for general information and interest. They do not constitute any kind of recommendation or inducement to buy shares of any company. PI World is not offering any kind of financial advice and nothing in our material should be taken as such.